Great. I'm going to invite my friend Catherine Redmond to the stage. She is going to share with you. She's got a message on her heart that specifically goes along with this rhythm series as we've been talking about the unforced rhythms of grace. This message on peace and rest and trust is exactly what the doctor ordered. And as I'm coming off of eight hours of teaching this weekend, I'm really thankful for my friend pinch hitting for me. And Catherine has been here at Neighborhood Church with her husband, Michael. Michael has been an absolute champion and producer of our live stream for the last three years. Thank you for all your work. Thank you for being here so many mornings. Thank you for sacrificing your husband for so many mornings and coming to church by yourself. Um, Their marriage is great, I promise. Sometimes Michael is behind those windows over there pushing buttons and leading people. But... um, These two run two businesses, Half a Bubble Out and Rabbit Hole Hay. You can ask them more about that. They wrote a great book talking about the fulfillment that we should find in our work. And so I highly recommend that. They have a wonderful daughter, daughter Jenna, who works at Half a Bubble Out. And I am so, 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 so thankful for your leadership in this house, for your continued love and support of my bride and myself and this family. And so Jesus bless my friend as she shares, uh, may she find incredible joy and tons of shalom peace. I bless her in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Catherine. First, I just want to say congratulations that you made it after losing an hour of sleep. I I feel like nobody has applauded you yet, and that's kind of criminal, because when the alarm went off at 6.30, and Michael said it's 6.30, I looked outside and I said, you're lying. It's dark, therefore it's 5.30, and this is just bad. So (laughs) congratulations on making it. I'm super excited you're here. We're going to spend time this morning talking about this concept that peace is our inheritance. As followers of Jesus, peace is our inheritance. And my goal this morning is basically to invite you to be known and and know the Prince of Peace. And so many of you do. And so even like Michael said earlier, it is my pleasure to remind you because we all need to be reminded, don't we? And for those of you who may not be far enough along in this journey to have experienced this, then I hope this totally blesses you. Um, I want to share just a teeny little bit about um, my quest, uh, and I'll tell some stories along the way, but um, I have been questing after this idea of being the most peaceful person in the world. I want to be the most peaceful person in the world. My family in the front row here will tell you that I have not achieved this. (laughs) I am not there. I have not reached the goal. But I've been questing for a long, long time. And some of that is my personality. I don't love conflict. I'm a nine on the Enneagram, if you're familiar with that, peacemaker. Um, But also, I am so awestruck by the way that Jesus walked his life, that he was never ruffled, that he never got anxious. And we as his followers are being shaped and molded into his image. Therefore, we should be getting more and more like him. In fact, I would argue that of all the people on the planet, people who follow Jesus should be the most peaceful. 
We should be bringers of peace. We should have peace in our home. We should be peaceful. But it's a journey. It's a quest. And so I just want to spend some time unpacking that. The passage that most defines this for me and has been a passage that I've come back to over and over and over again is found in Mark 4. It's also in Matthew. But it's this, and there's a beautiful painting of it. But this shows the calming, but this story is of Jesus on a boat with his disciples. He's just preached. He's super tired. He falls asleep in the back of the boat. You remember the story, right? Storm comes up. It is raging. It is raging so hard that his seasoned fishermen are freaking out. They're doing the literally come to the point of shaking him and going, Master, do you not understand we're going to die? Right? Not, not like, this is a little shaky. I can't believe he's asleep. I wouldn't be sleeping through this. They're like freaking out. And so they wake him and they say, Master, don't you care that we're going to die? And he stands up. Maybe he stands up. Maybe he just lays there. I don't know. But he basically says, peace, be still. And everything calms down. Everything. The wind, like, it's like the water becomes flat. And if you've been in a storm and the waves before, you know that the water doesn't become flat instantly. Like, this is incredible. And they're so blown away. They literally are like, who is this guy? Like, what? Oh, even the wind and waves obey him. I don't, oh, I am in over my head, right? So this passage has been like, this is the ultimate picture of peace. Being able to sleep in the back of the boat with Jesus. And so that has been my quest. I have three goals today. The first one is to remind you of your inheritance. To literally just remind you, this is what's available. This is what we have. The second is to create a hunger in you, if it isn't already there, to create, stir up a hunger in you to walk in your inheritance. And then the third, which feels a little redundant, but I'm still, I liked how it was phrased, so I'm leaving it. And you know what? I made the notes, so deal with it. To leave you so encouraged and blown away by peace, by the peace that we are offered, that you will long for it, crave it, and choose to chase it. Okay? So that, those are my three goals for you. But before we start chasing that down, one of the questions that may pop into your head is, is peace even possible in this mad, mad world that we live in? Right? Is it even possible? I mean, I don't need to go into these. This is our life, right? We've had multiple devastating fires, incredible losses in our region. And then, you know, this thing, this pandemic thing showed up. Last time I preached, y'all weren't here. That was weird. <laughs> Hence my husband running a live stream. Political strife, right? Such nastiness, such argumentative stuff happening. We have mask and vaccine battles. I mean, the vitriol online and the, just the universal conversation is so yucky. And now we're battling and have been for a while drought. And then as if we thought they can't get any worse, there's a war. 
between Russia and Ukraine, and we don't know where it's going. And some people are like, this is going to be World War III. It's just a matter of time. And we're like, oh, no. Right? Rising gas prices, economic turmoil, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And none of that even takes into account what's going on in your life. Right? These are just the big global things. This is reality. And in the middle of that context, I want to add to it this, this term that we use as we're teaching business leaders and talking things through. There's this term called VUCA. And really what VUCA is about is, and you see it there, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Those all feel right, right? Given the last list. And, but this is really a concept that the world is getting more complex. Our lives are getting more complex. Computers speed things, things up. I mean, life is moving at continued growing paces. And complexities are being added. And things don't feel stable. And there's uncertainty. And there's ambiguity. We're not sure what's happening. And this concept of VUCA, it's not something that kind of ebbs and flows. It just kind of keeps growing. So how do we learn to walk in a place of peace amidst all of the stuff that's going on in life, in the, in the big global world, all the stuff that's going on in our own lives, and the reality of VUCA. Because I don't know if our life, our life in the world is going to get a ton easier anytime soon. So now that I've depressed you, is it possible to be a person of peace? in this context? I think the answer is yes, and it's baked into the passage that this entire uh, series has been built on, right? Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you a real rest, how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. It doesn't have the word peace in it, but it embodies that sense of unforced rhythms of grace. Live freely and lightly. Walk with me, work with me, right? It embodies this concept. So I want to talk through this, this uh, peace journey with three basic points that I want to walk us through. I want to talk about the promise of peace. So we're just going to, we're going to journey through a few scriptures. I want to talk about the pursuit of peace because... I don't know if you've noticed, but just because it's my inheritance doesn't mean I'm claiming it. It doesn't mean I'm walking in it. It just means it's available to me. But there are choices we have to make. So the pursuit of peace is the second part. How do we actually do it? How do we actually chase it? And then the prize of peace. If we chase it, is it worth it? What, is, what comes out of having a life of peace and walking in a place of peace? So those are the three things we're going to walk through. So let's start with the promise of peace. First thing I want to do is I want to define biblical peace. 
So the word for peace in the Old Testament is shalom. And Andrew mentioned earlier, and I just smiled, this is one of the names of God. Jehovah Shalom. God is my peace. And that peace, it's not just an absence of conflict. In the Hebrew and in the Greek, it's never just absence of conflict. It's actually all things good. So it's wholeness and completeness, prosperity, health, safety, harmony with God and others. It's this very robust sense of peace that when, when the greeting happens, and it happens to this day, shalom, in the East it's salam, it's the same word. And it always brings with it this, this blessing of peace, this blessing of a gift. I wish you peace. In our home, we joke around because Michael is, is known to often say shalom agape, which is kind of a combination. It's, it's peace, peace love, <laughs> right? In Hebrew and Greek, because the, the um, Greek word for peace doesn't quite flow. It's a little harder to say. So yeah, it was shalom agape. Our friends just bought us a shalom to hang over our door or wherever we want to put it. But shalom is this powerful, powerful word. And it is, the name, it is one of the names of God. When you look at the New Testament, it is erene. And it's peace in right relationship with God. Peace in right relationships with people. Inner peace despite outer chaos. Individual virtue, state of tranquility, serenity. It also means absence of war. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. This is just a summary. But... New Testament and Old Testament peace, again, they are very robust. Peace is a very robust word. There's a lot to it in terms of my full health and well-being. Okay? I'll say it now because I'm afraid I'll forget to say it later. There are lots and lots of studies that deal with the fact that if you are a person of peace, you are probably a person who's healthier because you're healthier, because physical stuff happens when you are freaking out, when you're anxious, all sorts of things, headaches and stomach aches, and also I've had a number along the way. So, all right, so let's move into this, uh, just a few scriptures, and I'm going to tell you, choosing just a few on a concept like peace It's used 230 times in the New Testament alone. And that doesn't count the Old Testament. And we're going to take just a tiny little sampling of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I picked the ones that are super profound for me and that I spend time in and work in. So, um, but just know that this is a tiny little sampling, okay? The first one is this. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. And January 26th of 2015, I made a note in my Bible app tied to this verse. And the note literally was, what kind of peace is this inheritance that we have? Like, No fear of bad news? 
bad news comes and I'm like, God's got it. It's all right. That is stunning to be a person who can hear bad news and not be afraid of it. That is some deep, deep trust in God and some deep, deep peace. The second verse, Isaiah 26.3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Perfect peace. You will keep in perfect peace those who trust in you. Next verse. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. I want to read you this poem that I came across just recently in one of my Lent devotionals. And it's by a guy named Richard Jones. And it goes like this. I need to witness miracles today. A river turned to blood, water become wine, a burning coal touching the prophet's lips, black ravens swooping down to bring a starving man bread and meat, a poor fisherman raising the dead. I've heard theologians say this is not the age of miracles, but still, I'm easy to impress. I don't need to climb out of the boat and walk on water. I just like to put my head on the pillow while the storm still rages and rest. And I just, I read that and I was so delighted. I was like, because you know what? Sometimes putting your head on the pillow at night and sleeping, actually sleeping and, and settling, it feels like a miracle, doesn't it? Right? I mean, it is not on the caliber of walking on the water. It's not. But it still feels a bit miraculous on days, especially during hard seasons. So I love that. It totally resonated with my quest for peace. Just pillow peace. My professor at seminary used to call it pillow peace. Lay your head down at night and be at rest. Okay, moving into the New, or the New Testament. This is Jesus' promise. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not... Be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. And the peace I give, it is not the peace the world is talking about. It is a peace, well, that's the next verse. Uh, I won't talk about that yet. <laughs> Moving on. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love how often the, the Bible talks about you can have this thing that you will not understand. Right? Peace that passes understanding. In Ephesians, Paul prays for the Ephesian church that they would have a love that is beyond knowing. That they would experience the love of God, which they can't actually understand. Right? That somehow in your spirit, there's this place where 
you get to experience things that you can't explain. And if you've ever been in a situation where peace washes over you, and you're like, wow, it's an incredible, incredible thing. And I want to just tell this quick story of, that, of a time that that happened for me. Um, Michael and I were engaged, and we were long distance. So I was living in Southern California, finishing up my seminary degree. He was in Northern California in the Bay Area. And we had kind of done a long distance thing for a few months, and then I moved to the Bay Area for the summer to see, like, will this thing work close up? Or do I only like him in spurts? <laughs> so we ended up getting engaged that summer. And then I had to go back to school for a semester to finish. I was graduating in December. And well, when I left him and went back to school, and I'm engaged, and you have to understand, I am one of maybe two women, I might have been the only one, I don't even know, but in the Master of Divinity program at Talbot Seminary. And the professors had, they had a plan for my life. And it included staying there forever. And it also included, I don't know, marrying someone in academia. And so suddenly I'm engaged and this guy, like, who is this guy? And by the way, he couldn't afford to buy me a ring. That doesn't feel right. We were poor. He, you know, there was a lot of things that just like didn't measure up. And the more that I heard all these voices, the more doubt and anxiety began to build up in me. And, and I just, I realized that I was living in this low level anxiety. And if you know me, I don't hide that real well. So Michael, you know, many distances away, is experiencing that in our phone calls. And I am just wrestling and struggling. I, have a history, I had a history at that point of not always making the best choices with guys. I didn't trust myself. I was just freaking out. So one afternoon, I went to Carl's Jr. in La Mirada, as you do, to study. Ordered fries and a Coke, as you do when you're in your 20s and nothing matters, not so much anymore. <laughs> fries and a Coke. And I'm sitting down and I'm like, before I study, I just need to write Michael a letter. And so I started, dear Michael, I'm so sorry that I'm having such a hard time. And I don't think I got any further than that sentence. And suddenly I had something I have never had before and never had since, though I have asked very often, and it was a waking vision. And in this vision, I was little, like toddler, learning to walk. And I was, I was in a room full of like a living room, and I was holding onto the couch, because I, I could walk, but I was scared to let go of something to support me. And then little Michael came in, and he took my hand, and he helped me walk across the living room floor. And then the door opened, and we're outside, and there's this huge expanse of grass in front of us, and there's a jungle gym in the distance. And we start walking across the, the grass. He's just holding my hand, we're just walking, it's all good. And the Lord said to me audibly, if you want to be able to walk across the living room and out the door and across the grass and ultimately climb that jungle gym, this is the man I have for you. Okay, okay, so I put down my pen. Instant peace. 
And I will tell you that that peace has lasted the entire 29 now years of our marriage. It's never left me. I have never once wondered if he was the right guy or if we were going to be okay. I mean, it was just this like such a gift. And Michael will say it was probably as much a gift to him. God's on my side. (laughs) So it was just this beautiful, powerful moment of experiencing this profound sense of well-being like, okay, all right. So this peace is a powerful, powerful thing. Now let's look at the final verse. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Romans 8 is a powerful chapter, life-defining for me. This verse, the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. What does it look like to think rightly? What does it look like to make a decision to choose truth? How do I think rightly? So those are the verses. Don't get me even started on, I mean, think about Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In another translation I love, it says, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. (sighs) Right? There are so many places. Psalm 139 is another just incredible. Lord, you've searched me and you know me. Incredible. You know every thought. You know everything I'm doing. You know what's coming. You knew me in my mother's womb. I mean, it's just this like replete with this sense of who God is and how he sees me that brings incredible peace. So there's a ton more. But we all know from experience, as I said in the beginning, that just knowing that this is our inheritance doesn't make it just happen. You don't just get peace because it's there for you. There's actually a pursuit of peace that needs to happen. So I want to talk a little bit about what does the pursuit of peace look like? And I want to start with this very profound truth. Peace requires trust, and you cannot trust in someone you don't know. You can't trust in someone you don't know. You can't leverage someone else's faith. You have to be personally experiencing God. You have to personally take in his promises. You have to take in who he's defining you to be. You have to learn about him. You have to dig into scripture. You've got to understand who he is. You can't trust someone you don't know. You don't let someone throw you up in the air like that if you don't trust him, right? You just don't. And that kid's happy. He's like, dude, I'm flying. Life is good. 
You can't trust someone you don't know. Intimacy, dependence, trust, all of those things are built on gaining personal knowledge. They really, really are. There's a guy that we reference in business, Stephen Covey, who said, there's a function, trust is a function of two things, character and competence. Character includes your integrity, your motive, your intent with people. Competence includes your capabilities, your skills, and your track record. Both are vital. Now, his son, Stephen M. R. Covey, wrote a book called The Speed of Trust, that if you are ever struggling with understanding trust and what makes up trust and how to regain trust that has been broken, I highly recommend that you read it. It's an incredible read. So, the question becomes, do I trust God's competence and do I trust his character? Do I trust his competence? That would be his ability to do what he said he's going to do, his ability to keep his promises. Is he actually powerful enough to do what he says he's going to do? Do I trust his competence, his track record, how he's proven himself? One of the powerful things of going through focused living is the ability to look back on your life and look at all of these things that show you where God showed up and reframe those things to an understanding of, oh my gosh, this is what God was doing. Do I trust his competence? And then do I trust his character? Do I actually believe that he's good, that he's kind, that he's faithful, that he actually adores me? He's not just tolerating me, as it turns out. There's many, many days I feel like tolerance is all I deserve. But he actually loves me. And not because he has to, because he wants to. So do I trust God's character and do I trust his competence? You know, there are so many ways that we have in this, in this season that we live in to access and understand his character and nature, to understand his history. Like, there are devotionals in Bible apps that are free. It's incredible. I was trying to look something up this morning. I was looking at my Bible app and I just typed in the names of God and boom, there's a 14-day devotional on the names of God. Amazing. So, do I trust his character? Do I trust his competence? Because to grow and live in this inheritance of peace, actually, you have to get to know the Prince of Peace. There's no other way because you cannot trust someone you don't know. So, two slides forward. There's a, so how do we get there? So, there's, um, <laughs> so, it's, sorry, I think my notes are mixed up. Hold, hold please, hold please. I feel like I missed a quote. Where is it? There it is. Ha! Okay, sorry. I told him two slides and he went three. Um, so there's a quote that Andrew put up a few weeks ago when he was preaching that really resonated with me. 
And it was this quote by C.S. Lewis, when we come to scripture, it's not a question of learning a subject, but steeping ourselves in a personality. It's getting to know God, getting to know Jesus, getting to know the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what scripture and reading scripture is, should be about. So approaching scripture with this, I just want to get to know you. And God's like, I'm on it. Let's do this. So I love that quote. Again, you cannot leverage somebody else's faith. You have to choose to engage the creator of your, of your soul. You have to choose to get to know him. You have to pursue with intention. So how do you do that? How do we do that? I wish it was quick, but as my friend Eugene Peterson, friend, I don't know him. I didn't know him. He's the one who wrote the message. As he titled a book once, and the title stuck with me forever, this is a long obedience in the same direction. It's choosing to keep moving forward, to quest for peace, to believe that it's worth going after, to chase it, to choose it. And you know what? Life is a journey. Peace has to be pursued. It has to be prioritized. The good news is it can and does grow. I'll tell you, it can and does grow. When you continue to chase peace, it grows in you. We have to retrain our minds. Dwell on promises, but you can't dwell on a promise if you don't know it's there. Right? We need to rehearse truth. We need to learn who God is. I mean, just a handful of the names of God. Right? He's the all-sufficient. All-sufficient. That's El Shaddai. Our provider, how often in a world of turmoil and economics, rising gas prices, do we need to remember that God is our provider? Jehovah Rapha, our healer. And one of my favorites is Jehovah El Roy, the God who sees me. The God who sees me. Not the God who sees everything. The God who sees me. Learning to recognize what the lies are and finding the truths to combat them. You just have to be in the word. It's a long obedience in the same direction. And you can get stuff on a Sunday morning. I'm not saying you can't. You can get stuff in a Bible study. You learn from the community. But you have to process it with you and God. You have to be intentional. But we also have to recognize this. Failure is part of the journey. I love this little saying, failure is success in progress. That's someone who's failing and not giving up, right? It's success in progress. But failure is part of the journey. I mean, we lose our peace so fast, don't we? I mean, I was on a walk with Jenna last night, and I'm in a good place, and I'm, we're chatting about stuff. 
and all of a sudden this car that's behind us out of nowhere revs up and doesn't have a muffler. And I instantly lost my peace. Adrenaline, I mean, everything was like, Aah! and we just laughed like, wow, that was scary. But we lose it because circumstances come into our lives that cause questions and doubts. We encounter losses that are so deep and so painful that, that we can bounce in and out of places of peace during that process of grieving. Our anxiety can just kick in. I've had seasons, which is part of why I quest for peace, where I have just kind of lived in this low-level anxiety. Running two businesses has all sorts of opportunities to freak out. Just does. <laughs> freak out financially, freak out about the future, freak out about the past. I don't know, we just freak out. So I'm glad I have a partner who's more peaceful than I am. So there's just opportunities where our anxiety kicks in and we have to literally make choices to say no. I am projecting a future and forgetting that you're going to be there in it, Jesus. That's what happens with anxiety, right? We project a future and we don't project Jesus with it. Because the minute you project Jesus into that future, you get peace. Right? It may pass your understanding, but you get peace. And the other thing that happens is that our own agendas get thwarted and we end up in this place of disappointment. And in disappointment, we can wrestle and struggle and lose peace. And I'm going to tell you a story about that. But before I do, I, I want to share this prayer with you that I came across that just arrested me. So um, and it's going to be... It's, I don't know, it's actually not going to be on screen, so let me read this. I lied, it's on screen. <laughs> what do I know? They're only my notes. So, prayer by Douglas McKelvey. O oh Christ, in whom the final fulfillment of all hope is held secure, what I so wanted has not come to pass. So let me remain tender now to how you would teach me. My disappointments reveal so much about my own agenda for my life and the ways I quietly demand it should play out. Free of conflict, free of pain, free of want. You are the king of my collapse. You answer not what I demand, but what I do not even know how to ask. Not my dreams, O oh Lord, not my dreams, but yours be done. That is powerful, and part of the reason that that middle bit grabbed me so hard is that if you hang out with us, you know this. If you don't, you don't, but Michael and I have been waiting on the possibility of a house that we have fallen in love with, and I will not tell you all of the details, but the waiting started January 11th of 2021, so we're now just past the 14-month mark. We were thinking at three months, it was rough. Six months, it was like, you've got to be kidding me. And there's a lot of reasons we have to wait. There's a, people that want to sell us their house or trying to buy a house in Idaho. The people in Idaho that they're trying to buy their house from or want to buy a house in Arizona. And there's all of these contingencies, right? So we just wait. But a couple months ago, I was just frustrated. 
and I started to get anxious. And, you know, the interest rates are going to get out, go up, and what if by the time it happens, it's out of control and we can't even get the house? We need to look at other houses. And so I started dragging Michael to open houses. And then we would get irritated with each other because we're struggling because actually we haven't defined what we actually want if this house isn't available. So why are we even doing this? Well, I don't know, because we might need it. So that whole sense of taking your agenda in your own hands, right? And, and invariably, we can become the source of our own discontent. So you know what I had to do? Just stop Zillow notifications. <laughs> I don't need to know what goes on the market. I don't need to be told. I don't need to see anything else. I need to wait. And I need to trust. And you know what? This may never happen. But God is teaching me so much about how I respond when I'm disappointed. He's gently teaching me, you know what, sweet girl? You got to trust me. Because you have become the source of your own discontent because you stopped trusting me. And you're not living in peace. You're getting anxious. Knock it off. So there's self-sabotage. We can sabotage our own peace. I'm very good at it. But there's also an additional reality. And that is that there's an enemy of our souls. And he actually does not want us to have peace. He just doesn't. Because, and, and we're going to talk about the implications of being peaceful in a minute, but I'm telling you what, your peace wrecks the enemy's agenda. He wants to stir you up. He doesn't want believers to be peaceful people. He doesn't want anyone to have anything to envy. He doesn't want people to look at you and go, how can you be so calm? He doesn't want that. So there's an enemy fighting against you, right? There's the world, the flesh, and the devil. We, it's a tri trifecta of battleground. It can be a battle. It also requires of us. No, you're good. Commitment to obey the command of Christ. A willingness to forgive. So many people don't live in peace because we're holding on to offense. We're holding on to hurt. We have to be willing to forgive if we want to walk in peace. It involves a willingness to lay aside our own agenda and a lifelong commitment to intimacy and dependence. That's what the battle for peace requires of us. So it's no simple thing. It's no simple thing. So is it worth the battle? Well, let's look at the prize of peace. Let's look at the impact of being a person of peace. One of the things we talk about in the leadership world is what does it look like to be a non-anxious presence? World is in chaos. People under you are freaking out. How do I be a non-anxious presence and lead from this place of peace? I mean, have you ever experienced walking into a room and there's a person who is a person of peace and like everything just... 
mean, Gaylord Enns is like that for me. Let me just own it. I don't know if he's in the room, but I mean, when I, when I run into Gaylord and he puts his arm on me and God blesses me, I'm just like, oh, right? And it's interesting. I, I realized a few weeks ago, we were singing a worship song and, and the song is about Jesus. And it says, when you walk into the room, everything changes. And I wrote in my journal that day, Jesus, I'm supposed to be becoming like you. So when I walk in a room, things should change. Because I bring you. I bring your character, your nature, peace, patience, joy, hope, love, all of those things. Those things I get to bring with me anywhere I go. So somehow, like in this picture, I get to walk into chaos and unzip and open up peace. That is a powerful prize. There's incredible opportunity. And it's one reason the enemy wants us to fail. The other quick thing I want to share with you is I learned many, many years ago from um, a friend of this house, Gil Wesley, about this concept of being an embassy and being an ambassador. So an embassy, as you probably well know, is a place of sovereign territory where literally you step into the embassy, no matter what country you are in, and you are in the other country. So this happens to be, because I thought, why not, the embassy of the United States of America in Russia. Might be a place you want to go if you're American, right? You step in and you are in that nation. So what does it look like for me to set up embassies? So I have an office where I work, it's an embassy. I have a home where I live, it's an embassy. And as we've grown in this grace, one of the things that happens regularly when people come to Half a Bubble Out is they say, gosh, I just, I just love it here. It, there's, I just feel so peaceful when I'm here. And I'm like, <laughs> that's because for this moment, you are actually reconciled to God. You don't know it, but you are. Because this is an embassy. This is a kingdom space. This is where the kingdom is. So here, you get to step into a moment where you're reconciled. And that moment, my, my hope always is that it would draw them to a deeper place of desiring to know what that is. So we get to be ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation, bringing God's message of wanting to be at peace to a waiting world. And this is the verse that that derives from, in case you're curious. All these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we, am, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Powerful. So those are just a couple of implications of how peace impacts the world out there. But what about, you know, selfishly? What does peace do for me? Let's look at that. There are a truckload of personal rewards, by the way. I picked something with lots of presents, lots of things to unpack. Here's a few of them. Going back to the verses that we walked through and just tweaking them a little. 
To be a person of peace means you get to journey towards being someone who's not afraid of bad news. You have a steadfast heart. You can be in perfect peace. You can have pillow peace. Sleep in peace. The ability to fall asleep in the storm while the storm rages. Probably not in a boat, <laughs> but just in your bed. Fall asleep while the storm rages. A peace that passes all understanding, that guards your heart and your mind. Life and peace, as we set our minds on the Spirit, a settled trust that it is well, and much, much more. So as we come in for a landing, I want to recap. And as I do, I want to just invite the worship team to the stage. So we've talked about the promise of peace and looked at a, just a smattering of the possible scriptures that I could have pulled. We've talked about the pursuit of peace and what it means to actually engage that actively in your life. And then we've talked about the prize of peace. Is it worth it? And I think the answer is yes. I think you would agree with me that it's worth it. And my goal was to remind you of your inheritance, to just bring this peace thing and just shine a spotlight on it. Because we live in a crazy, crazy world. And we, of all people, have an inheritance of peace. It's a gift that we can step into. I wanted to create a hunger in you to walk in your inheritance and then leave you so encouraged and blown away by the peace that we're offered that you'll long for it, crave it, and choose to chase it. And as we close the service, there's a song that is just one of my favorites. It's a very major rework um, that alludes to a song that I sang growing, growing up called It Is Well With My Soul, right? And we're not going to sing the, the hymn, so don't get excited. <laughs> a rework, okay? But I just asked the worship team if they would sing this song, and they're going to, whatever voice I have left, which will be minimal, um, I'm going to sing with these amazing people. Um, and then I will close this in prayer. read it. I just want to read a poem that I wrote in my journal. It's not a poem, it's just a prayer. And I don't have it memorized, but as I was processing, this is where I landed. Abba Father, I am not yet the person of peace that I long to be. I do not yet trust you fully and completely. Some days, fear and anxiety win the day, and peace feels like an impossible dream. Yet we're on a journey, and I trust you more today than I did yesterday. Your word washes over me, cleansing my mind, reminding, encouraging, refining, and calling me back to your unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus, you are my Prince of Peace. Reign in my heart and in my life so that peace flows out of me 
and into the lives of others in my path so that my life will reflect your glory, your presence, your peace. Amen.